book was, was all about. Um, so don't buy it, don't read it, avoid it. It's, it's uh, a book written by Leonard Sweet. Leonard Sweet. Leonard Sweet uh, was raised a Christian. Uh, his parents were Christians. He was raised in a Christian home. But uh, when he grew up, he actually became an atheist when, when uh, I think, like high school and, and all the way up. And surprisingly now, he's a professor of evangelism at a, at a, uh, a seminary in New Jersey. An atheist who uh, is a professor of evangelism at a liberal seminary in New Jersey. And in his book, The Gospel According to Starbucks, Sweet was asked, Starbucks, due to their modern, uh, modern branding, marketing, and giving people the illusion of what they need, uh, Starbucks makes people willing to pay top dollars for a simple cup of coffee, which is true, right? Because of their, uh, they're saying because of their modern branding, the way they market, and the way they, they make people think that they have what they need. So Starbucks, uh, making people willing to pay top dollars for a simple cup of coffee, and the question uh, went like this, why are people willing to pay so much? So Mr. Sweet was being asked this question, and Sweet answers, they pay so that they can enjoy the Starbucks experience. It's the experience, he says. The value comes with the experience that surrounds the cup of coffee. Starbucks, love, uh, Starbucks lovers connect with the warmth of friends as they enjoy the warmth of their favorite drink. Page four from his book. The point of his book, okay, the, the Gospel According to Starbucks by Leonard Sweet, the point of his book is that the church today should learn from Starbucks. Because whatever Starbucks is doing, it's working. It's working. The whole coffee industry, uh, that whole thing is, is working really well. At Starbucks, that's, that's working really well. So Mr. Sweet says, the church should learn from Starbucks. Whatever they're doing, it's working. Whatever we're doing as a church, it's not working. If we want the church to grow, he says, if we want more people to be interested in the church, we need to be epic, cap, capital, capitalized E-P-I-C, he says. We need to be epic like Starbucks. And then, and then the rest of his chapters are about that, E-P-I-C. So Starbucks is epic, so if we want more people to come to church, if we want more people to be interested in church, we need to be just like Starbucks, we need to be epic, epic kind of church. E is for experiential. So we need to uh, make sure that when people come to church, that the whole thing is just a good experience. That it's touching all five sensory uh, of the, the emotions and the feelings. P is for participatory. So I, I get that. I is for image rich. Starbucks, right, big on image, branding, marketing, right? Uh, and they want, they want to do that. Church, if you want people to come, if you want people to be interested, you need to uh, get into some branding um, thing and you have, you, have, you have to have your image. Uh, you have to be cool with, with how you brand and how you come up with your image. And then C is for connected. You need to connect people. You need to connect people from one another and it's networking so that people feel like they really belong. That's the book. That's the book. Uh, that's that's his point of his book is to is for the church today to learn from Starbucks to be epic, to be epic like Starbucks. Now, students, is that what we're supposed to do? 
Are we supposed to learn from the culture, look at what the culture is doing, and say, okay, that's working over there, okay, that's not working, uh, that company is doing a great job, look at all the people who are going to that store, uh, we need to learn from that, so we need to take what the culture is doing, and we need to use that to attract the people, so that we can get them into the church, so that they can stay interested while they're in the church, Therefore, the church grows. Is that is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what uh, ministry is like? Sort of ministry is supposed to do. Look at what other people are doing, unbelievers, and then take that pl uh, plug and play right here. And then young people, teenagers come. We got to keep them interested, and then we go from sixty to one twenty to two forty, and we say we have church growth. Is that what we're supposed to do? No. No, I'm sure, I'm sure Starbucks is very successful, right? I'm sure the epic thing for Starbucks is working fine for them. Uh, but that's not the manual for the church. That's not the manual for any ministry like student ministry. We're to learn from the Bible. We're to focus on, on people's spiritual growth. That's the focus, is for people to grow spiritually. And that's what we've been learning from Ephesians chapter 4. So look at Ephesians chapter 4 and follow as I read verses 11 through 16. 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and cared about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the body, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each, of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the, the building up of itself in love. So that's the Bible's uh, instruction for church growth. Uh, we're not to listen to how Starbucks do it. Uh, we are to focus on what the Bible says. So here, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, last Sunday we started to look at the eight necessary components for church growth. And it's not its not going to be epic. Okay, it's not, it's not Starbucks epic. These, these are the eight necessary components for church growth according to Paul here in Ephesians chapter 4. In order for our church, okay, again, I want you guys to um, uh, think of NCC when I say church, and I want you to think of student ministry when I say ministry or a smaller or a smaller group. Okay, in order for our church, NCC, and specifically our ministry, uh, student ministry, the people in this room, in order for that to grow spiritually, first we need equipping leaders. Okay, we saw this last Sunday, equipping leaders. Look at verse 11, let me read that again. And he, who is that, students? Who's the he? Jesus Christ, right? He's the one who descended, and he's the one who ascended, and he's the one who gave gifts to the church. 
And he, Jesus Christ, gave to the church. Here's what he gave. Some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did Jesus Christ give us those people? Why did he give us pastors and teachers specifically? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. For the growth of believers. For the growth of the church. So we need equipping leaders. And secondly, we need serving. Serving members. We also looked at this last Sunday. Back to uh, verse 11. So Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So that the saints, so that Christians, so that believers in the church and even in student ministry would do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So let's do a quick review. I want to make sure you guys remember what we've already covered before we keep moving on. Who does the equipping according to Paul? The teaching, the outfitting. Who, who, who's responsible for that? Pastors? Pastors? Yes. Teachers, right? Pastors and teachers. Okay? So pastors and teachers, people like me, people like your leaders, were responsible okay, to equip and teach you. Now, who does the work of service? Jackson, who? Students, right? Believers, Christians in the church, right? Christians in, in the ministry. And if you're a Christian, you're responsible to do the work of service. Now, here's, here's a, a harder question. Let's see if you guys remember from last Sunday. What are the two ways you can do the works of service? You say, okay, I'm in student ministry. I'm a Christian. Okay, my pastor, my teachers, they're equipping me so that I can do the work of service. So what are the two ways you can do the work of service? Yes, give me one, just one. Teaching. Yes, give me one. Practicing the one another's, right? I gave you that list from, from Sunday. So that's, that's how you do, that's one way you do the work of service. If you're a Christian and you're here and you're like, what do I do? <laughs> What's the work of service for me? You practice the one another's. And number two, yes, Liana? Yeah, practicing our gifts. Exercising spiritual gifts. You need to find out what your spiritual gift is. If you're a Christian, you have one. You have at least one, right? And you are to practice that. You are to exercise that so that the people around you in this room and the people in the church would be built up. When you do the one another's, right? Like love one another comfort one another, encourage one another, right? Confess your sin to one another, be patient with one another, right? Don't complain against one another. When you do all those one another's, you are building up the church because you're doing the work of service. When you're exercising your spiritual gift, okay, whether it's teaching or serving or mercy or, or administration or helps or any of those things, you are doing the work of service and what's the result? Paul says at the end of verse 12, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's the benefit. That's the outcome. The whole church is spiritually built up when pastors and teachers are equipping and when Christians are doing the work of service. So, if we want our church and student ministry to grow, we need equipping leaders, serving members, and look at the third one. Here's the third one. This is your first fill in the blank. 
Doctrinal unity. Big word, I'll explain that in a little bit. Doctrinal unity. Okay, starting in verse 13. And if you're looking at your outline, we're only covering three. Okay, number 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 uh, number three and number four and number five. And they all come from one verse. So I am unpacking one verse, just like Pastor Scott likes to do. Unpack one verse, right? When I get really good at teaching, then maybe we'll unpack one word like Pastor Scott does. So, doctrinal unity. So we all need to do our part. Okay, I do my part. Leaders do their part. You guys do your part. Uh, we're equipping and we're doing the work of service with a specific goal in mind. And Paul here is telling us that that's, that specific goal in, goal in mind is that we would all attain to three things. Okay? So, so we're, I'm doing my part. Leaders are doing their part. You guys are doing your part with a goal in mind. And that, that goal is to attain, okay, to arrive, to get to three different very important things. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain, what's the next word? Well, the, the, literally, what is the next word? Until we all attain to, okay? Uh, let's see. After the first comma, what's the next word? You don't have a two? Two. two. What's the next word after the next comma? Two. So Paul is saying that we should all attain to how many things? Three things. <laughs> Who said two? <laughs> Three things, right? You guys see that? That's where I'm getting my outline from. I, I, I want to make sure you guys are following me. Okay? So, so we are, all of us, okay, verse 13, until we all attain to, attain to, and attain to. Okay, the first attain to is doctrinal unity. Look at it. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. The first thing we all need to attain to is doctrinal unity. Notice that Paul doesn't say faith. Okay? He, uh, he strategically, I believe, and specifically says what? He didn't just say faith. He says the faith. Okay, the faith. It's like saying, it's like, it's like saying the Father instead of just Father. Okay, when I say, biblically speaking, when I say the Father, who is that? God, right? If I say Father, it could be any dad. Right? So here, Paul, Paul doesn't say just faith. He says the faith until we all attain to the unity of the faith. He's not talking about our act of faith. When you, if you're a Christian, when you um, heard the gospel and you responded in faith, right? That's your response to the gospel and you became a Christian. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about our, our act of faith, but the content of our faith. Another word for that is doctrine. You guys ever heard of doctrine? Right? Doctrine. Um, what does it mean then? Come on. Homeschoolers. Worldview people. Right? Abeka people. Yes, go ahead. Give it a shot. The ins and outs of what we believe. Good, good. Any other definitions on your own word? 
Anyone's ever taken a class that's about doctrine? Who here um, went through Adventure Club? Raise your hand if you went through Adventure Club. Okay, all of you have taken a class about doctrine. Okay, I'm not going to tell Mr. Ken, okay, that, uh, that, that it seems like a long time ago, but Kids for Truth is really all about doctrine. Okay, the reason why I switched from Awana uh, and also from, sorry, from Kids for Truth to Adventure Club, the reason why I, I, I um, landed on Adventure Club a few years ago is because it focused on doctrine. Okay, if you guys went through Adventure Club, you went through the cycle uh, every three years. So first year, second year, and third year. First year, you have, you have the Trinity, right? Uh, so you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then, and then year, second year you have you know the church, you have um, you have sin, and then you have man, and then and then third year you have eschatology and, and other doctrines. So that little booklet that you guys colored, right? That that I, that we help our kids today. That's doctrine. Okay, doctrine. Uh, here's how I can define doctrine. Okay, look at your handout. I'll give you some some of the. The fill in the blanks. The doctrine is the set. It's, it's a set of foundational core. What do you guys think? Yeah, good job. It goes beliefs of the Christian faith. Okay, I think that's that's a at least to me a, a simple way to find doctrine. Doctrine is the set of foundational core beliefs of the Christian faith. So, can you give me some examples of doctrinal beliefs? So don't, don't overthink it. Just think of Adventure Club. Yes, in the back. Yes. Nicene Creed. Nicene Creed. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's doctrine because uh, those people came up with that. Right? They came up with that. And if we're saying that the point is to have unity in the faith, unity in doctrine, NCC, Student Ministry, we don't hold to the Nicene Creed. Um, right. From, from the Bible. Yeah. But, but that's good. They, they, they did study the Bible well and they came up with those creeds. Uh, really helpful for the church. But I wouldn't classify it as doctrinal. Yeah, give me one. The Trinity? Yes, Nicholas? Yep, Jesus' resurrection. One more. What's that? Original sin. Okay, good, good. Any, anyone else? Yes, life. The deity of Christ. Okay, so... If you want to start from the top, right, you, you can say the doctrine of God, right, everything starts with God, the doctrine of God. Uh, God is the creator of all things, He's sovereign over, over all His creation, and He deserves glory from all, all His creation. So that's the doctrine of God. Um, if you want, to, you want to keep going down, you have the doctrine of Scripture, because God spoke, right, the doctrine of Scripture, uh, also the Bible. Right, God's word. The Bible is God's word. It's His word. Therefore, it's authoritative. Right. So we need to listen to it. We need to obey it. We need to submit to it. And also, it's sufficient. That means it has everything that we need for life and godliness. We don't go to Starbucks. We go to the Bible. We don't go to uh, psychologists. We go to the Bible. It's sufficient because it's God's word. It's authoritative, and also it's inerrant. It has no errors. Right. So, doctrine of God, doctrine of Scripture. Another one is doctrine of creation. The doctrine of creation. You, you guys will, um, 
will come to a point and you're, you know, you, you pick your college, right, and you go to that college or university and you say, yeah, I'm so excited, it's a Christian school, right, and then this professor walks in, right, you're taking a theology class or a doctrine class, right, and he starts with Genesis and he says, this is not 24-hour literal day. The day here in Genesis 1 is not, it's not like the day that we experience today. It's not literally a 24-hour day. And if you, are, if you are a Berean, right, you study God's Word and you examine everything through God's Word, you would have to disagree with that professor and say, no, the doctrine of creation according to the Bible, is that God created everything in literal 24-hour days. Right? If He didn't, then Sabbath, that wouldn't make sense, right? That God would rest for what, thousands of years? And then He would tell the Israelites, hey, honor the Sabbath on the seventh day, right? You to not work. And then the Israelites would have been like, yeah, man, 2,000 years of not working? That would, it wouldn't make sense. Right, so the doctrine of creation says that God okay, created everything through His Word okay, in literal 24-hour days. Here's another doctrine, doctrine of sin. Right, you'll read a book. Right? Your friend will, uh, will hand you a book, recommend you a book. Or you'll visit a church and, they'll, and they will teach that we are all born neutral. Right? Neither good, neither bad. And then once we start choosing bad things, then that's when we become sinners. No, that's against the doctrine of sin. Right? The Bible says that every single one of us, okay, you, me, even Teddy, who's turning four tomorrow, right? All of them, all of us are born sinners and we all deserve God's wrath. Here's another one, the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation. You guys will grow up. You'll get married, you'll have your career, right? And you'll have your kids, and then you say, okay, I think we're going to go to this church right here. You go to that church, and then you get connected, and you, get, uh, you, you, you make really good friends with other people, and then your pastor goes to Romans 9, and then you're like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is the doctrine of salvation. I believe this, right? I was equipped when I was in youth ministry about this. I understand this. I agree. But then your friends, they leave. They leave your church. And then you text them, hey, we haven't seen you. And they say, yeah, we, uh, we don't believe um, what you guys are teaching. And you're like, it's a doctrine of salvation. That, that it is God who predestines people, who elects people, and saves people. It is God. And then they say, yeah, we disagree. Right? Those are some of the doctrines that you can think of when Paul says we all need to attain to the unity of the faith, to doctrinal unity. And notice that Paul highlights the doctrine of what? At, um, at the end, uh, the, the, next, uh, the next statement. The unity of the faith, comma, what's that next statement about? That's the doctrine of what? I'll read it to you. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the doctrine of what? Scripture. 
I intentionally did not uh, use it as my example earlier because it's coming up. The Gospel, Trinity. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You guys heard of Christology? The study of Christ, right? The doctrine of Christ. That's what Paul's referring to. He's not saying that, hey, I want you guys to think of doctrine um, and only think of Christology, only think of Jesus Christ. No, he's saying, I think, I think he's, he's saying the doctrine, of, that all the doctrines, but especially the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Specifically, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, the only one, and specifically that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He's saying, I want you guys to be united in all of the very important doctrines uh, that the Bible teaches, especially, specifically, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, that He is the only way for you to be saved, and He's the only way for your sins to be forgiven. So that means that we should all know, and we should all agree, who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Now, students, why do Christians divide over doctrine? You know, like the professor at a Christian university, and he doesn't believe uh, literal 24-hour day creation. And that friend uh, that you'll have down the road when you're older, who will leave your church because they don't believe uh, that God is sovereign over salvation. Why do people divide over doctrine? What, what do you guys think? Yes, give me one, one, one answer. Yeah, they think that there are other evidences for the other side. Yes. They have different worldviews. Yes, Ms. Julie. Bad teaching. Bad teaching. Yeah, bad teaching. Yeah, a lot of bad teaching starts in schools. Yes. They don't what? A little bit louder. They don't like the... Oh, they don't like the doctrine that's being taught. Yeah, a lot, a lot of reasons. It's sad when Christians say we shouldn't talk about doctrine because it just leads to, um, they'll say, debating and arguing and dividing. So we, we shouldn't talk about doctrine. We should just ignore doctrine. So they say everything is secondary or tertiary issues, right? We shouldn't talk about doctrine. Uh, we should just agree that we disagree and just get along, right? Christians say that today. That's sad when I hear that. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's not what he's telling us to do. He doesn't, wanna, he doesn't want us to have doctrinal division. Doctrine does divide. Okay, you'll experience that if you have it. It will divide friendships and people. But Paul here is saying that it should not lead to doctrinal division, but it should lead to doctrinal unity. Now, here's how we do that. Okay, here's how we do it. Number one, we have one authority, and that is the, the Bible, right? If you and I disagree on creation, if you have, you know, if your authority is uh, somebody else, right, Google or a book or something, and my authority is the Bible, then we're not going to have doctrinal unity. So, number one, we have to have the same authority, that's God's Word. And number two, we have to be willing to study together, okay? We have to be willing to study together. And number three, we have to be humble under God's word. If somebody says, there it is, right? 
There it is. That's predestination, right? Black and white. You, you have to humble yourself under God's word. That's, that's number three. And then number four, we have to be patient with one another. When your friend says, ah, I'm still struggling with it. I, I, don't, I don't see it yet. You need to be patient. When your friend says, but, but somewhere else it says this, and this article says this, so I'm going to give you this article, and I want you to read it. You have to be patient. That's how you come to doctrinal unity. The, the authority is God's word. Okay? You need to be willing to study it together. Your attitude is humility, submitting to what, what the Bible says, and then toward one another you need to be patient. The reason why people divide over doctrine is because they don't do that. They don't do that. They don't do that. Um, you tell them, hey, just stay. Okay, just stay for a little bit longer because our pastor is going through God's sovereignty over salvation. Just stay a little bit longer so you can actually hear it. No, no, we're not saying. We already made up our mind. We're not saying. It's sad when people do that. So doctrine does divide, but Paul here is saying, here's the goal, guys, the equipping of the saints and the work of service of the saints. We need to have one, one, one goal in mind, and that is the unity of the faith. So we need equipping leaders, we need serving members, we need doctrinal unity, and then number four, number four, we need spiritual maturity. Makes sense, right? If we're talking about church growth, and we're not necessarily talking about numerical growth, it would make sense for Paul to also have this in mind, spiritual maturity. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain, number one, to the unity of the faith, especially of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then here it comes. And number two, to what? What does it say? What is it? Growing to maturity. Any other translations? Mature man. Mature man. Notice that that he, Paul started with, started with plural, right? And that until we all, and then and then here he says to a mature how many? One person. What do you what do you think he's getting at? Is that just me, one person who would mature? Just you, one person who would mature? What, what do you guys think he says? One person to become more spiritually mature. The church, correct. The whole body, the whole church. Which means then that that your spiritual maturity or your spiritual immaturity affects the whole church, the whole ministry. Okay, think about it right now. You're sitting in your seat. Think about it. Your spiritual maturity can contribute to the spiritual maturity of student ministry. All sixty plus of us right here. Your spiritual immaturity, though, can can take away from the spiritual maturity that we can actually have as a ministry, as a group. So Christ wants every single Christian here at our church and here in this room to be maturing spiritually. Now, here's the question. How do I know? How do I know if I'm actually maturing spiritually? You know, phys physical maturity is easy, right? You know, you're born, right? Your mom takes you to, to the pediatrician, like, every week, right? And they measure your head, okay? He's 95th percentile with head. That's with our kids, they have big heads. 
And then the 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 length, okay, uh, 25 percentile in that the, the 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 height range. And then you go every month, right? And then you go every year, right? Then he's turning four. I think his doctor's appointment is coming up. And then you measure everything. Okay, he's growing. He's physically growing. That's that's easy to do. You guys at home, maybe you guys do this. You, you guys mark the thing with your height, and then you put the date, right? For some of us, it's the same. But man, that's discouraging. <laughs> but for some of you, you grow, right? You you uh, you record your your height. So here, Paul's talking about spiritual maturity, and that it's that's not as easy to spot if you're maturing spiritually, okay? Like physical maturity. So let me give you some signs, okay? Let me give you some signs of spiritual maturity. There's a lot more than what I'll give you, but I think these are simple enough so that you guys can say, okay, am I growing spiritually? Because my spiritual growth or my lack of spiritual growth actually affects student ministry, affect, it affects the church. So here's one. Here's what, uh, one sign of spiritual maturity you can look for. A growing love for Christ. A growing love for Christ. Students, do you love Christ more today than last month? When I, when I came up with that sign of spiritual maturity, I asked myself, okay, um, if, if growing love for Christ is a sign of spiritual maturity, do, do I love Jesus Christ today more than I did last month? If Paul says we are to attain to the unity of doctrine, especially the doctrine of Jesus Christ, who He is, He's my Lord and Savior, and what He's done for me, He died on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven. Do I love Him more today than last month? How about this, students? Does Jesus Christ have to compete with things and with people in your heart so that He can get first place? Does He have to compete with things? Do you love other things? Do you love other people more than Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, then you don't have this sign of spiritual growth. If Jesus Christ has to compete... Letter B, second one. A growing love for Scripture. For God's Word. A growing love for Scripture. So I ask myself, am I reading my Bible more today than two years ago? How about you, students? Are you reading your Bible more today than last year? Or, the Bible has to compete with things. Right? Or maybe you're just too busy. Well, what do you expect? I'm, I'm 17 now. Life's just busier. Right? Is that the attitude? Um, if I get to the Bible, great, awesome day. If I don't get to the Bible, there's always tomorrow. Or it doesn't even bother you. It doesn't even bother you that it's been a long time since you read the Bible. You say, well, we read it in student ministry. If that's your answer, then you're not growing in your love for Scripture. And if you're not growing in your love for Scripture, if you're not growing in your love for Jesus Christ, you are act you're actually not spiritually mature. You're immature. Here's the third one. A growing love for, what do you guys think? Think of 1 John. Others. A growing love for others. Students, how has your attitude been toward other people? Again, let's think of the church, NCC, but then let's zoom it in, get even more practical, people in this room. How's your attitude been 
toward people in this room? Do you see others as people to love? Or do you see others as people who, uh, people you want to avoid? When you see, when you see your friend, okay, here on Sunday or on Wednesday night, or if you see a, a new person, does your mind go straight to, man, what an opportunity for me to love someone? Or is it, man, another person to avoid, awesome, thanks mom, dad for dropping me off, is that the attitude? If that's the attitude, you are not growing in your love for other people. You are spiritually immature. Do you do you have new friends? Okay, ask yourself this. Do you have new friends? If not, why not? If not, why not? And don't give me that, well, I'm just an introvert. Well, even introverts are called by the Bible to make new relationships. Right? Why not? Is it because you don't want to reach out to those who are hard to love because they're either difficult or different? Is that the attitude? Well, they're just so difficult. Well, that's why we are to love like Christ loves, right? Christ loves you, you're a difficult person. Well, but they're just different, you know? They're, they're like, they do school differently, you know, they dress differently, they, they're into other games and sports like me. Well, you're different too. But that didn't stop God from sending His Son Jesus Christ to die for you. So are you growing in your love for others? Here's the last one, letter D, a fourth sign, if you really want to know if you're maturing spiritually. A growing hatred of sin. Good job. A growing hatred of sin. The question is not, do you sin? We all know the answer to that. Right? You sin all the time. I sin all the time, every hour. We even sin and we don't know that we did until later on. So the question is not, do we sin? We all know that we do. The question is, how do you respond to your sin? What do you think of your sin? What do you do after you sin? That's the question. A spiritually mature person doesn't stop from sinning, but a spiritually mature person is, is grieved when he sins. And he's quick to confess his sin to the other person and to God. And he's quick to seek forgiveness for his sin. He doesn't minimize it, he doesn't ignore it, and he does not excuse it. Students, if you're seeing these signs, okay, in your life, in your life again, I said there are more signs that you can look for. Okay? if you want to know if you're spiritually growing. But if you're seeing these four signs in your life, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Yes, you might not, you might not be at the same level on these four things as, as someone who's older than you, like your parents, or someone who's been a Christian a lot longer than you, like Mr. Plummer, but be encouraged because if you're seeing these signs, Okay, if you're seeing these signs in your life and, you're, and people who know you well, they're telling you, hey, you are growing spiritually because I'm seeing these things, then you need to be encouraged. You need to be encouraged. You are maturing spiritually. And again, like I said earlier, student ministry won't become spiritually mature as a ministry unless every single one of you, every single believer in this room is actually attaining, like Paul says, attaining to spiritual maturity. So we have equipping leaders, serving members, doctrinal unity, 
spiritual maturity. Number five, Christ-like conformity. Christ-like conformity. You're conforming, you're becoming like Jesus Christ. This is at the end of verse 13, the last and third two. Christ-like conformity. Verse 13, until we all attain, number one, to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God. Number two, to a mature man. And number three, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's a mouthful. Right? To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh, what does that mean? It simply means that you and I must attain to the character of Christ, you can say. To attain to the fullness of, care of the character of Jesus Christ. To keep pursuing Jesus Christ so that we would become more like Him. Now, this means two things. For this to happen, okay, Christian conformity, uh, for you to conform to Jesus Christ, for you to become more like His character, two things need to happen. Number one, you must belong to Christ first. Okay, that's the first fill in the blank right there, letter A. You must belong to Christ. You can't, you can't become like Jesus Christ if you don't belong to Him. You must belong to Christ. Students, have you turned away from your sin? Have you done that? Have you, uh, have you trusted in Jesus Christ, who He is, that He is your Lord and Savior, and what He's done for you, that He died on the cross for your sins? Have you done that? Because if you haven't, okay, it doesn't matter what your teachers say. Oh, you're such a good student. It doesn't matter what your parents say. Oh, I think he's a believer. It doesn't matter what your friends say. If you have not done that, if you have not turned away from your sin, and if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you do not belong to Jesus Christ. If you do not belong to Jesus Christ, you're not going to become like Him. So that has to happen first. So you must belong to Christ, and second, that letter, uh, the letter B there, you must become like Christ. Once you belong to Him, you can become like Him. Let me ask you this, students. Who do you want to be like? Is it uh, that celebrity that you follow on social media? Is it that um, athlete who's very popular and very wealthy? Who do you want to be like? If you, um, if you, if you, if you have devoted a lot of time to step to study someone and to know someone more than you have studied and known Jesus Christ, guess who you want to be like? That person, not like Jesus Christ. If you know more about this singer, if you know more about this celebrity, if you know more stats about this athlete, but you have no clue, okay, you have no clue who Jesus is and you have no idea what he's done for you, guess who you want to become when you grow up? Not Jesus Christ. The only way, students, the only way you can become like Jesus Christ is you pursue Him, you read His Word, you get to know Him, and as a result, you'll start thinking like Him, not like the celebrity you follow. You'll start talking like Him, not like the athlete you follow, and you'll start behaving like Him, not like other people in the world. I hope that's your greatest pursuit. I hope that your greatest pursuit and your greatest desire in life is to be like Jesus Christ. 
But again, like I said, that, that can't happen unless you belong to him. Listen, students, this, this is why I love what I, what I do. Okay? This is why I love what I do. I, I'm sure the pediatricians love what they do because they see the, the infants go to, to babies, to toddlers, you know, all the way till they're older, and they see the growth. Right? And as, as parents, you're like, I don't see the growth because you, you see them every day. Right? But, but for the doctors, they, they see them and they're like, wow, your baby has grown. You're not a baby anymore. It's kind of the same for pastors and teachers and leaders. Um, we, you know, we see the growth in your spiritual life. You guys come in seventh grade, right? You're smaller than me. Uh, you're a little bit awkward, right? Seventh grade. Um, that, that's okay, you know, you're shy, that's, that's fine, but then the Lord saves you, right? The Lord saves you at a young age. Then you start growing physically, then you, you know, you're bigger than me, you're taller than me, you, know, you get to Mr. Garrison's height, and you even surpass Mr. Garrison's height, so you're growing physically, but then what we notice is that you're grow, also growing spiritually. You're growing spiritually. You develop an appetite for doctrine, Right? You guys are not like, oh, another teaching. Oh, Pastor Roy tells us, go to Sunday school and then go to the main service. Too much doctrine. You guys don't say that. You actually have an appetite for doctrine. We see that. We see that spiritual growth. And you start to show spiritual maturity. You actually you love others. You love others. And you, and you love those who are different than you and difficult. And then you become less like yourself, like your old self, you become more like Jesus Christ, you become less like the world that you used to love, and now you become more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we all see that. We all notice that. But then, all of a sudden, you graduate, you're 12th grade, and then you get senioritis, and you graduate, and you, uh, you leave us, you forget us. But that's okay. That's okay. Because we got to be a part of Jesus Christ's church growth into the ministry. So, those are the five of the eight. We have uh, five, how many more? Six, seven. We have three more. Okay, we'll save those till next Sunday. So, pray with me. Hey Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how rich it is, how convicting it is, and also how how encouraging it is. I am personally very thankful for this church, but specifically for this ministry. How you save young people and how you how you um, take them through what we covered this morning. Appetite for God's word and, and spiritual maturity and becoming more like Jesus Christ. I pray that, that those who believe in Christ here would, would attain to those things, that they would focus on those things. And those who uh, cannot and don't want to because they're still spiritually dead, I pray that you would give them spiritual life. I, get, I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that you would grant them the gift of repentance and faith and that they too would grow. Our prayer, all of us here, would be a ministry that's strong because we're spiritually mature, spiritually growing. Thank you for these students. Uh, bless our our week, and uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.